Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Deborah So podcast. Back on the podcast this week is the wonderful Michael Shermer. Michael is the publisher of Skeptic Magazine, host of The Michael Shermer Show. He's also a presidential fellow at Chapman University and the author of the brand new book, Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. You can support the show on Patreon and you can get The End of Gender at drdebrasso.com and on Simon & Schuster's website. I'm so happy to get to talk with you again. So thank you for coming back on my it's podcast. it's been a while. Yeah, for sure. So congratulations on Conspiracy. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm pretty excited. I haven't had a new big book since 2018, so that's been a few years. So you've published, is it 17 books by now? Uh, let's see. Well, it depends on what you count. Uh, I think it's 15. I think uh, Conspiracy is my 15th book. The, wow. The first, one, the, the first real one was Why People Believe Weird Things. That was 97. Uh, I'd published a couple of cycling books in the in the 80s when I was a pro bike racer. And then uh, I did a couple of children's books, uh, Teacher Child Math and Teacher Child Science, in oh. the early 90s. But, but serious writing, yeah, uh, 20, 25 years. Is there a ritual or routine that you do in preparation of a book launch? Because you've done so many at this point. Uh, well, I, the book launch. Well, I guess um, really just the publishers setting up media stuff. It's hard to know what the right media to do is. This is the first book really with a lot of podcasts. <laughs> You'll find out if today was a good yeah. idea or not. <laughs> I don't know. It's like uh, uh, it's hard to get on any of the talk shows anymore. They don't really have authors on anymore. And so you really podcasts are uh, everything now. It's astonishing. How Why that, don't? Yeah. Why don't they have authors on anymore? I don't know. It's to me, it's it's the most interesting thing. You know, author has a new book. They want to talk about it. What's the book about, mm -hmm. right? So that's why my podcast is focused on that. But um, yeah, so I don't know. I loved being on your podcast. You really cover like every single angle and you really get in depth to it. So I think that's one of the amazing things of the medium of podcasting, but your, your book title. So when I was telling people in my life that I was having you back on and I mentioned the title of your book, which I really enjoyed, by the way, they, I feel like it gave me an indication of how closely people have been following the culture war because mm. it meant different things to different people. Mm. And if you had asked me, say five years ago, what a conspiracy theory was or conspiracy theorist was, I would have said, okay, it's, probably someone who has a very strongly held belief that is not based in reality at all. And if you try to challenge them or raise uh, facts that go against their belief, they'll probably get very defensive. Now, if you ask me what I think a conspiracy theory or conspiracy theorist is, I'd probably say someone who is saying something true that the mainstream doesn't like. <laughs> and so I wonder, have you had any experiences like that? in terms of the definition changing? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, uh, you know, a conspiracy is two or more people plotting in secret to gain an unfair, illegal, or immoral advantage over somebody else or some other entity. A conspiracy theory is a idea about a possible conspiracy, whether it's true or not. So if you make those distinctions, then, of course, there are lots of conspiracies, uh, conspiracy theories that turn out to be true because there are conspiracies. So, you know, governments plotting to uh, rig elections in some other country, that happens. Supporting fascist dictatorships over communist dictatorships, things like that. So when somebody says, well, I have a conspiracy theory, okay, 
um, but is it true or not, <laughs> right? Uh, and mm-hmm. so it's kind of a signal detection problem. There are real conspiracies. You think you may have detected a pattern that indicates there is a, a real conspiracy afoot. Uh, but no one knows for sure because we're not omniscient. So uh, you have to know, well, what, what evidence is it that you have? And is it enough evidence to say, yes, that that conspiracy theory actually turns out to be true? There was a real conspiracy or no, it was a false alarm that the, you know, the pattern you, you detected did, did not indicate a real conspiracy. And so, you know, it just depends on on which particular claims. There's no perfect algorithm to run for every conspiracy theory. It just depends. How can you tell whether a conspiracy is likely to be true? Because I think it's important for us to be able to challenge other people, but also challenge ourselves and our own beliefs. Right. Well, uh, so so what criteria for a conspiracy theory to determine whether it's true or not? Um, True. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So it would be, I mean, I have a little kind of riff off the baloney detection kit um, from from my uh, earlier books of conspiracy detection kit. So how many people would have to be involved for this to be pulled off? And the more people that have to be involved, the less likely the theory is to be true because people can't keep their mouth shut. They're incompetent. Randomness and chance that affects people's lives and so on. It's not impossible, but in a Bayesian way, we say it's a lower probability of being true if there's a lot of people that have to be involved. Think about, let's just take the 9-11 truther conspiracy theory. Now, 9-11 was a conspiracy, but what the truthers think is that it's a different conspiracy, that it's the Bush administration that either let it happen on purpose, LIHOP, or made it happen on purpose, MIHOP. And 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 so uh, for that to be true, though, they would need, you know, hundreds or thousands of operatives that, you know, broke into the World Trade Center buildings, you know, broke through all the drywall to plant explosive devices on the structural beams inside the World Trade Center building, up and down, all 100 floors, uh, based on how it supposedly collapsed in a controlled demolition and all that stuff. And they would have had to know ahead of time, you know, where the planes were going to hit, exactly which floors the planes were going to hit, at the angle that the, you know, wings hit the hit the buildings and so on, because that's where they collapsed from that point. All right, so how, uh, so this the, the reason we know this is very, very, very likely not true is that, that element right there. Too many people would have to be involved, and too many elements would have to come. So here's the second criteria. How many things have to come together just right for everything to be pulled off for this conspiracy to happen? this conspiracy theory to be true. And there, you'd ha- again, you'd have to have like thousands of things happen just perfectly, perfectly timed. And we know that's not how the world works. You know, there's randomness and chance and accidents. Nothing ever goes according to plan. And uh, that's usually how conspiracies go. People bumble and fumble and, and chance and randomness. You know, so those are the two criteria. Also, the bigger the conspiracy theory, like, you know, we're going we're gonna to take down the United States or world domination, control the world's economy, right? Okay, nobody can do that. It's impossible. There's just too many elements that, that have to be controlled. But if it's a very specific thing, like somebody, some department plots to uh, insider trading at a Wall Street firm, that's a real, that's a conspiracy theory. It, it, it happens. So, the, you know, those are true conspiracies. That we know is kind of another element. Is this the way the world works, right? I mean, how many people really want to, you know, control the world or something like that? Not many. But how many business people try to cheat the 
regulatory state just a little bit, right? We're just going to plot and kind of cheat a little bit and gain an unfair, maybe make a 1% more profit this year. That happens. That's normal. And, and we understand why that happens. And you don't have to have that many people involved and you don't have to have that many elements to come together. How would you suggest, I mean, in the book, you go through a number of, of approaches, which I think are quite helpful, but how would you s- suggest approaching talking to someone who may hold a view that is not based in reality, or I think more broadly, just talking to people who disagree with you? Yeah, that's the hard one. So I do have that chapter toward the end about you know what to say to your crazy Uncle Joe at the Thanksgiving dinner when he says, you know, the 2020 election was rigged or Hillary's running a pedophile ring out of a pizzeria. You know, what do you say? You know, and the, and the problem is, is Kind of like with what what I say with cults, nobody joins a cult uh, ever. They join a group that they think is good. It's going to do some good, you know, whatever. And nobody believes a conspiracy theory they think is completely crazy. You know, they they believe it because they think it's true. And, you know, so you have to kind of uh, take a questioning approach like, oh, that's that's really interesting. You know, where'd you hear that? Or, yeah, I heard something about that. Where, Where did you get that information? And you know, how reliable was that information? And, you know, what would it t- particularly like, what would it take to change your mind? What sort of evidence would come forth that would make you think, huh, this might not be true, right? Just asking those kind of questions, you get people to think, yeah, well, maybe the source of my uh, theory here is not as reliable as I thought. If you just tell them that, you know, this is a bunch of or, you know, this is completely crazy, you know, the cognitive—it's not going to go over so well. No, cog- cognitive <laughs> dissonance kicks in, and uh, you know, when people have a strong belief and they're confronted with contradictory evidence you know, that goes against their belief, that's called cognitive dissonance. Makes them feel dissonant. Uh, so something's got to give. They either say, "Well, I was wrong," or they spin doctor the or rationalize away the contradictory evidence. Everybody does this. Scientists do it. Everybody does it when you know their theories or ideas are challenged. Uh, so you have to kind of do an end run around that and and let them keep their whatever the foundational belief is. Like, so take that the Pizzagate thing, you know, that Hillary and the Democrats are running this secret satanic pedophile ring out of a pizzeria, the Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria. And does anybody really believe that? I mean, it's just so crazy. Uh, I mean, how would this happen and, and why and, and you know, so on? Well, one guy did, Edgar Welch, you know, he went to the Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria with his gun. He left a video. Uh, he drove there. It was like three and a half hour drive to get there. And he left his video message for his daughters. You know, I'm going in. I would do this for you if I thought somebody was doing this to you. And I saved the children and no one will do anything about it. So, you know, that that is kind of how you would act if you thought there was a crime unfolding and no one would do anything about it. But most people, I think don't take that too seriously. And if you took them to the Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria and showed them that there's no basement here, look, Hillary's not here, there's no pedophile ring, right? It's not like they're going to say, oh, in that case, I guess I'll vote for Hillary. They were never going to vote. <laughs> they were never going to vote for Hillary, right? They hate Democrats. They hate Hillary. They hate the libtards or whatever. And and, <laughs> and so the the particular details of the conspiracy theory are not that important. It's what it represents. So I call that proxy conspiracism. Mm. It's a stand in for something else. You know, we don't trust Democrats. We think the the liberals are trying to destroy American freedom, whatever it is. And so it's a, you know, it's a proxy for something deeper that if you, even if you refuted the particular conspiracy theory they're endorsing, that's not really what it's about. 
It's about comfort and a sense of control, like you say in the book. So I'm sure there are some people in my audience who maybe they do question whether the 2020 election election was rigged, in which case I don't blame them for questioning it because there are so many things, like when we look at the way that dissent has been suppressed, say in the mainstream with, it's not mm-hmm. just journalism, it's like every, it, it doesn't matter what area, science, medicine, you know, I'm especially critical of that, but I don't blame people for sometimes for potentially holding views that might sound totally crazy to the average person or maybe someone who's not really paying attention to what's happening. I mean, do we just allow people to go through society? Like my my view is I don't think censorship is the solution because I think that just makes people dig their heels in even more and say, well, the only reason they're censoring this is because it's true. Do we just let people go through society with their beliefs and hopefully have a, a discourse, a dialogue that will make them eventually change their minds if it turns out that it's not true? Yeah. Well, I'm with you on that, Deborah. I think uh, cancel culture only makes people that see it happening think, well, the person getting canceled must have something interesting to say. Why else would they cancel him? I'm going to really, yeah. really listen to what they have to say, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, so I think in, in of all places for that to happen in academia is, is particularly disturbing because, you know, that was the kind of the free speech, uh, uh, you know, the launching of the free speech movement in, in the late 60s at UC Berkeley, for example, so that people like even Bill Maher get canceled at UC Berkeley. <laughs> you know, it's just bizarre. And it makes you think, well, in that case, I'm going to really look up. Or, you know, Joe Rogan has some some guy on like that Robert Malone and everybody loses their minds over this. And it's like, well, that, that makes me think, well, I, I think I'm going to see what this guy has to say because everybody's so upset about it. Right. So really yeah. just let people have their say. And, and instead, I, th- I think um, it's better to just you know, counter bad what you think are bad ideas with better ideas, and just and again with conspiracy theories, I'm always up front and say, well, conspiracies are real; they happen all the time, and so that makes the person think, okay, he's not just denying everything; he's not naive, and so maybe mm-hmm. I can convince him, and then so then then you get into you know the details of what's the evidence for this or that conspiracy theory being true or false. And and then, so again, the person, if you attack the person's character or their foundational beliefs, it's going to be harder to get to any kind of, I don't know, agreement about anything. So get back to the 9-11, you know, um, you know, who, who in the Bush administration did these, these deeds? And uh, otherwise, you don't really have a theory. You know, it's like Christopher Hitchens principle, I call it that, you know, that uh, he, uh, let's see, what's his line that uh, if somebody without any evidence at all, you can just dismiss them. Yeah, that can be that which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh, I was kind of I sorry, I forgot something in your previous questions about like the rigged election. Okay, so. Here's the problem. I, I don't know how to investigate a claim about this or that voting district or that voting place in Atlanta or Ohio. And there was a truck that pulled in behind the building at three in the morning and there's this grainy video. You know, I, how how should I think about that? Because I don't have the resources. I wouldn't even know who, who to call. But you know who does is the Justice Department. And when Trump appointed Republican Attorney General Bill Barr says, we poured all of our resources of the Department of Justice to look into these claims and we found nothing. 
to me, that's a sign that, okay, you know, it's not a, it's not just an argument from authority, but that somebody who would be motivated to find something says, I looked into it and didn't find it. And he had the resources to do it, the position to do it. To me, that's the end of the story. I thought the conspiracy theory would end when Bill Barr announced that. So I should note parenthetically that both parties do this. Whenever Democrats lose, they just go back decades. They always think there was some shenanigans that the Republicans were doing in this district or that county or that state. This always happens, but it always gets dropped after things get settled down. A few months go by and people start focusing on the next election. Uh, I mean, Hillary conceded to Trump and Gore conceded to Bush, even though both of them thought, OK, there was something up with this. And so it's not. And it's not fair to just say Republicans have these crazy rigged election conspiracy theories and Democrats don't. No, they both do. I think it speaks to the universality of conspiracy theories, and they do serve to some extent an evolutionary function for human beings. So it really doesn't matter what you specifically believe, but it, it offers something or some value in people's lives. What are some conspiracies or conspiracy theories that you believe Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, well, I mean, uh, Watergate was a conspiracy uh, a conspiracy theory that turned out to be true, right? Um, you know, I write about the First World War was launched by a conspiracy to assassinate the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, the heir apparent of the Austria-Hungarian Empire. And, you know, some of them, uh, when I was writing the book, some of the ones that I got into that was quite surprising was to what extent the CIA you know, our own government uh, were, you know, up to really just not just Ill, Ill, immoral, but illegal activities that you know, Congress never approved. In many cases, the president didn't even know what they were doing. Right. You know, Operation um, uh, Northwoods came out that, uh, you know, that Kennedy's administration, his top some of his top uh, aides had plotted these false flag operations as a pretext to invading Cuba. It's not crazy to think these kind of things go on all the time in history around the world now. You mentioned in the book that there's a conspiracy that Kurt Cobain is still alive. And I'm secretly hoping that's true. So that means one day I might still be able to meet him. There's a lot. That, yeah, there's a popularity with um, not just rock stars. You know, there's a bunch of those that died at age 27. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, mm -hmm. Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison. Uh, Paul McCartney supposedly died at age 27. In 1969, there was one of these um, pre-internet memes going about uh, that, pres that, uh, that Paul McCartney died in a car crash. And I was in ninth grade at the time. We were all Beatles fans and looking, pouring through the album uh, cover details to sign little signs like the back of Abbey Road, mm -hmm. you know, shows th it says three Beatles and there's like a skull in the shadows. And on the front of Abbey Road, the way the Beatles are walking across that crosswalk, you know, Paul's out of step and all, all these signs of the license plate and the Volkswagen in the background says 28 if, <laughs> that Paul would have been 28 if he hadn't died. This goes on and on. It's just completely crazy. But there's something about famous people that makes it hard for us to believe they just died normally. I mean, all the examples I just gave of rockers, died, well, Cobain was suicide, but he suffered from severe depression. The others were, you know, drug uh, drug overdoses, which was, you know, pretty not unusual at the time. Or Princess Diana, cause of death, drunk driving, speeding, no seatbelt. You know, President Kennedy, uh, you know, just this lone nut, Lee Harvey Oswald, who's that? So there's this kind of disproportion 
between cause and effect. If it's a big cause, big famous person, powerful person, we want the, you know, the, it's a, the effect is big. We want the cause to match it, right? So, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald, no, come on, that can't be. And, you know, Elvis is still alive and you know, Mar- Marilyn Monroe <laughs> Marilyn Monroe and Elvis are living happily in Argentina or something. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so it's something, it's, it's something of like a resurrection myth. It doesn't, it seems like our kings our saviors, the, you know, big famous people, they can't just die the way regular people do. But of course, statistically speaking, that, that that is likely what would happen. How has studying conspiracies affected you? Has it made you more paranoid in some ways or does has it helped you be more skeptical or less skeptical because you're aware of your own biases? I guess a little bit of both. I, 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 I'm less inclined to just believe any conspiracy. I'm a little more discriminating, I guess, in how I evaluate the evidence for each one. But on the other hand, I, I'm, I, I am what I call uh, constructively paranoid. <laughs> that is, <laughs> you mentioned the evolutionary origins of this. You know, I have a whole section on that, that um, it, it paid to make more type one than type two errors. That is, in a signal detection model, uh, you can miss a real conspiracy. That's a, uh, a type two error, which could be very dangerous. That's that's a bigger error, costly error to make than 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 having a false um, uh, false beliefs. That is a false positive or a type one error. You thought the pattern was real when it's not, and so you're just a little constructively paranoid. You'd be careful about other uh, groups of people that might be conspiring behind your back. You know, and if they're not. There's not a lot of harm in that, unless you lose friends or whatever. But um, but if you miss a real conspiracy, that could you know take you out of the gene pool. So the argument is that we're a social primate species. There's a lot of conflict between individuals within a group, and there's a lot of conflicts between groups over resources or whatever. And and so there are coalitions, social coalitions of groups that plot against other groups or people that plot against other people. This has always happened. And so I'm arguing that we evolved this propensity to assume the worst, kind of the negativity bias, assume the worst just in case, because it happens just enough, right? So the, you know, the, the couple chapters I have on real conspiracies, you know, it's, it's a kind of evidence for the fact that you should be a little paranoid, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the line that just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not actually out after you. They might be. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I want to say thank you also for including me in the acknowledgments. That was a really nice little surprise oh, at the welcome. end of the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to ask before we say goodbye, a bit of an unrelated question. You are one of the probably most joyful people that I know. Anytime I talk to you, you just emanate happiness. And I wonder, where does that come from? Are you just natural? Is that naturally your disposition? And what advice would you give for other people who may want to emulate that approach to life? Oh, well, Deborah, as you know, temperament is mostly genetic, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's at least 50% heritable, so I can't I just thank my parents or I don't know what. <laughs> I go all the way back. I don't know. I guess, um, I, I, you know, like everybody else, I, 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 I get in bad moods periodically or whatever, but I just try to be grateful uh, for the luck I've had of, you know, lucky I was born in America in the 20th century. And, you know, lucky that I had parents that loved me and sent me to a, well, I went to just public schools, but anyway, that, that I had decent public schools. <laughs> and I don't know, it's just, um, I, I guess it would be easy to go down the rabbit hole of kind of darkness. It, you, you certainly would studying conspiracies, right? Cause 
it's mm. a the, the rabbit holes people go down are really dark. You know, the anti-Semitism, the racism yeah. uh, that's inherent in a lot of these are really disturbing. You know, so I just try to, <laughs> I don't know, keep up the positive things of uh, of life. That it's amazing we're able to figure these things out at all. Right, that we can. You mm-hmm. employ rationality and reason and science to determine what's true. The fact that you can even do that is pretty amazing. <laughs> you know, most other species that we know of, all the primates and cetaceans and so on, they're just kind of stuck with the you know understanding causality by just association learning. A is connected to B. They think they find patterns that we can at least reason about it and talk ourselves out of yeah. the, all the different biases that are at work there. I think that gratefulness is a huge piece to it. Like when I think about my own happiness, I think it's so important to just own the decisions you make, control what you can control, and then the things you can't control, just accept that that's outside of the realm of your ability. Yeah, stoicism, that's the basic premise of stoicism, right? Um, and uh, I, I don't know if I'm naturally good at that, because it's easy to get frustrated about the things you can't control. I know I read those things, you know, just let it go. It's like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Easier said than done. <laughs> you know, and I get the, th- I get like everybody, the thought flooding of, you know, oh, I should have said this or that guy, he said this, and I'm going to dwell on that for the next six hours, even though I know <laughs> this is not healthy, right? Or you know, you go on social media and the negativity bias kicks in, right? You notice the five negative comments and, and ignore the 200 positive comments to your tweet or whatever. Mm. And uh, it's hard not to see that, even knowing the bias, you know, the negativity bias, that losses hurt twice as much as gains feel good. Uh, so but you got to focus on the gains, right? And just remember, remember, things aren't that bad. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Michael. It's always amazing to catch up with you. Where can everyone find you and where can they get Conspiracy? Well, here's the book. There it is. Oh, well, you see a bunch of them behind it me there. So. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, beautiful they did it. They yep. did a nice they did a nice job on the cover connecting it. Actually, people have told me that there's other things in there like uh, let's see, CIA, uh, uh, C- CIA <laughs> is in there and Soros, S O R O S, George Soros. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, Amazon obviously and bookstores will have it and um uh, michaelshermer.com, skeptic.com. You know, my magazine, here's our new issue on race, just came out this week, and you can go. Ooh. Yeah, we t- <laughs> yeah, this year we tackled race, abortion, and trans, oh, trans issues. So oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to get myself canceled. <laughs> you know, well, I hope the feedback to the race issue is very positive. Do you have any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Uh, well, on conspiracies, again, I, I think it's reasonable it, it, to call somebody a conspiracy theorist as a, um, you know, sort of a pejorative insult is not right because we're all conspiracy theorists. Everybody, polls show consistently, everybody believes at least one conspiracy theory. And oftentimes that's a good thing because there are real conspiracies, you know. So let's drop the uh, the insulting language and just say, just turn it into a signal detection problem. Is it really a conspiracy or not? your particular theory. And there's just, because some of them are real, some of them are not. So don't think people are crazy because they're not, these are not tinfoil hat wearing people. You and I, everybody (laughs) believes some conspiracies. All right. Thank you, Michael. All right. Nice to see you again, Deborah.